Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Insider Podcast, brought to you, as ever, by Vanishing Inc. We were lucky enough to have on the line today Mr Guy Hollingworth. Guy, how are you this afternoon? I'm very well, thank you. Jolly good. Well, this is a 30-minute show. There's no time for pleasantries. We're going to kick off. What's your origin story? You have 43 seconds. Well, I started magic with a magic club at school, didn't have much particular interest, but went along out of curiosity. It was about the same time that The Best of Magic was being shown on TV, and I saw Channing Pollock, who I thought was the coolest guy I'd ever seen, and I thought that was amazing and wanted to learn magic. Found I couldn't really pull off that kind of cool, suave thing at that age, and so didn't know what to do, and I couldn't really do a stage act anyway. Then saw Ricky Jay on The Secret Cabaret, and I thought, oh, I could do close-up magic. That's quite cool. Briefly tried to be David Williamson when I saw him, and that didn't work very well. <laughs> I think so we've fin- all done that. <laughs> <laughs> finally went back to sort of doing Ricky Jay-type material in the sort of way that Channing Pollock might have done it if he'd done that sort of thing, which he didn't. And then I came up with a way of tearing a card and putting it back together, and someone asked me to be on TV, and that was uh, a good way of starting stuff. And then I started doing lectures and wrote a book, and then I became a lawyer. <laughs> okay, that's, that's it for this week's episode of The Insider. Thanks very much, Guy. <laughs> um, so you were at St Paul's, and yes. as I researched on the internet, it was classics or history socks or rugger practice or this dwindling magic club why why did you pick that was it because the others were absolutely of no interest to you or was there something that drew you to the prestige society uh Basically, uh, I mean, uh, on one view, it was because the others were so awful. Yes, we, we had these long lunch breaks and we were supposed to do something productive with them. And so there were lots of societies that were related to the subjects that everyone was studying, or there were various sporting activities. And then there was this thing called the Prestige Society, which was magic. And I was not a, a real fan of magic, but I was just sort of intrigued. So I thought, well, I will go along and see what it's all about. And it turned out it really wasn't about anything uh, because (laughs) there weren't any members. It was sort of stuck on a list because some people had started it years ago and no one had taken it off the list. But uh, no one actually went or did anything there. So it was just me and one friend who went along. As I say, more or less out of curiosity. And um, so, yeah, that, that was it. It wasn't through a love of magic. But it was that that sort of made me more aware of magic, I suppose, made me keep an eye out for it, hence then watching it on TV. So how does a, a magic club work with two members that aren't magicians? What, what did you do? Go to the library? Well, sort of. I mean, to be honest, we didn't really do anything. It was just there was a classroom allocated, uh, a sort of an absentee teacher who was notionally supposed to be in charge of it, but he never came along. So it really was just somewhere that we could go and hide while other people were <laughs> running around in the rain and the mud playing rugby. Um, and if anyone came and said, what are you do to, doing here? We could say, oh, we're the magic club and they'd just leave us alone. So it, was, it wasn't much more than that to start with. Uh, we then did go to, I went to a, the local library near where I lived and they had some magic books that you could, could borrow. <laughs> which is unsurprising, given that it's a library. <laughs> yes, and, um, <laughs> and they had uh, some really quite... They, they had expert card technique, and they had uh, a Walter Gibson book. It was pretty difficult stuff, actually. Yeah. But, of course, I didn't know that. I just thought, well, that's a magic book. Okay. So I got it, and I brought it in, and we sort of started looking through it, and we just started working through it. And, I mean, the first thing that we learned was the Charlie Miller push-out, strip-out <laughs> shuffle. Just because... Well, that was sort of that was just something where we saw the pictures. Thought that looks interesting, and you know what? In hindsight, I'm really pleased about that because my my way of starting magic wasn't 
getting a magic kit that was for children and being mm-hmm. able to do self-working tricks or going into a magic shop and, you know, I've never had the experience of being able to pick something up and do it straight away and think, oh, that's cool. I like magic because I can do that. Right. For me, magic from the beginning was always, well, it's always, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, that was difficult. I didn't even think it was difficult. You know, I was was learning to play the piano. I was at school. You know, I was in learning mode. Everything was about learning. And, you know, you kind of don't expect to be good at sport or at music or anything until you've practiced. And I was so used to reading books different? and learning things. So exactly. So it, it was never it was never a question of oh this is really difficult. I wonder if there's anything easier to do. It was just well I've no, I'm now by mistake a member of a magic club. Um, I suppose I'd better learn some magic. I guess this is what it is. And so I just did. How interesting. You did a show at the school open day with aforementioned friend Ben. So if you yeah. if you're, if your if your studies were expert card technique, well, what did you do at the open day show? Do you remember? Well, this is this is the trouble. Uh, yes, our, our great scam worked quite well until we found out that that there were these open days at the end of a school year where um, you sort of put on shows for um, you know, so the people who were coming the following year could come and see what the school was all about. So we kind of got our arm very heavily twisted into doing a show because we were the magic club and they thought that would be interesting. And we hadn't really done any shows. So um, I I can't remember an awful lot of it. I mean, we literally did just do some of that stuff. I I can't even remember what tricks we would have done, but some stuff from expert card technique. I mean, uh, I did some coin things. I I literally just had a coin and did some false transfers. I mean, there was nothing really... To, like a routine. I think, you know, I just did something and then Ben did something and so on and so forth. We were kind of aware that we needed a big finish. Okay. Um, and so we got a book, I think, um, I think it might have been a Peter Eldon book. It was, or uh, was it the Penguin book or the Puffin book of magic? It was something which was more accessible, actually. And I can't remember where we got that from. Maybe it was in the library. And there was some ridiculous trick um that sort of was involved chinese looking apparatus there was a sort of a box mm. and it had scrolls in it and it sort of had a false bottom in the box so you basically just turned it round and you put weird scrolls in and then they changed and came out and it was completely sort of corny and i sort of made it out of bits of cardboard and painted <laughs> this sort of stereotypical chinese looking nonsense uh-huh. and that that was our big finish so wow. it was awful uh, but, you know, it was it, it then did mean that people sort of thought, oh, there's a magic club at the school. Well, maybe that's interesting. And those kids who were coming the following year, they then came along and wanted to join. So we sort of then had a bit more responsibility because we then had to work out what we could actually do at a magic club and arrange some events and even try and teach some other people some magic. So we were sort of kick-started into actually finding out more about it. How wonderful. So you said in the, at, the, at the beginning that it was the secret cabaret, which I remember vividly as well, and the best of magic and, and Ricky Jay and Pollock. But after all of that time, I'm sorry, I don't mean to suggest you're frightfully old. We are of a similar age, I believe. But you did a, a, a classic Pollock-esque act at this year's Magi Fest. Why did it take you so long to try that kind of, that kind of performance? Well, I sort of tried a bit in the early days. So I joined I joined the Zodiac Magic Club, uh, mm-hmm. which is in West London, when I was 16, because that's when they allow members. There wasn't, I don't think there was a young magicians club at the Magic Circle at the time, so I couldn't join the Magic Circle. So I, I sort of tried everything at the Zodiac Club, and they had various competitions you could go in for. 
And it was a relatively small venue. So, you know, their, their stage competition, you could get away with doing fairly small things. So I did try and do back palming and I did various sort of silent routines that, again, in hindsight, were pretty blooming awful. But, you know, I did try that sort of stuff. Um, but the reality is it's really hard, I think, when you're a, a child and you're at school and you've got other things to do. It's quite easy to learn a card trick and fiddle around with it and show it to a few people and uh, and practice it and get better at it. It's really hard to actually, A, have the time and B, the discipline to put together a stage act. And then where on earth, where on earth do you do it? You know, you can't so. just show a stage act to your friends at school. So it just became really impractical. So doing card tricks was just easier not technically but just practically because i could always have a pack of cards with me and i could sort of do stuff so it just sort of happened but i'd always wanted to do a stage act Uh, but funnily enough the more i got into doing card magic the more difficult it seemed to be to sort of stop that and put a stage act together um and then i although i did do magic full time for a couple of years it was doing sort of close up and walk around so Mm. there was no commercial incentive to do it then when I started doing law, magic sort of had to go on the back burner for a bit because I didn't have time to do both. or I needed to sort of get established in law before I could start doing magic again. So it was sort of years later when magic was a hobby and, um, you know, I, I had a little bit more time that I thought, well, I, I really do want to go back to what the, the way I sort of started and, and getting into doing a stage act. And I'd had the idea of what I wanted to do 10, 12 years ago, I suppose. Right. And it has just taken time to put it all together. And then finally, it was about two and a half years ago, uh, I was taking a sabbatical off work, actually to do a completely different show, um, sort of magic play almost, I suppose, something I'd written with a friend. And uh, I'd taken six months off work to to do that. Unfortunately, it it fell apart. Um, uh, There were problems getting it getting it on for various reasons so i had this time off and i thought well fine I'll, I'll take the time to actually do my stage act so i took that time and i managed to get a week at the magic castle at the end of that six month period as a kind of target so nice. you know i had to have a stage you act had a by then yeah uh so that's when it that's when it was sort of first done and then since then i've been trying to improve it and refine it and change bits and um you know I, i've been doing it since then, including, as you say, at Magi Fest. I mean, I did it at the session a, couple, a year or so ago, and then Magi Fest this time, so, yeah. Who helped you create the act, or were you, was it you in your bedroom crying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was largely... Well, I mean, the, the ideas... The ideas for the for the act, uh, almost, it almost sort of wrote itself in some ways. You know, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. I knew the sort of character that I thought I could get away with or that I am. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't sort of, I don't have a character as such, but through doing quite a lot of performing and close-up, I, I sort of feel I've established the personality that I like it or not, that's sort of who I am. Sure. Uh, and sort of thinking of that Channing Pollockish style, you know, I wanted something old-fashioned. You know, I wanted to be in Tales. Yeah, I, I even did close-up shows in Tales. I just think it's a nice look, and it, it mm. sort of sets you apart a bit. So I knew I wanted to do that, and so I wanted it to be classical. So I wanted the idea of the act to be sort of modern techniques and things that would hopefully fool a modern audience, so not just old tricks that have been around for a long time. I wanted the material to be new, but I wanted it to feel like it was the sort of material that magicians would have been doing doing years and years ago. Right. So doing card things, doing billiard balls, that kind of thing, it it was sort of fairly obvious what the material was going to be. 
I had a very clear idea that I wanted it to be fairly simple to understand. I think a lot of stage manipulation, there isn't a clear plot. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not clear what's happening. There's just lots of stuff going on, which sometimes is effective, but I, I wanted it to be sort of quite clear and quite magical. Yeah. So the, the actual the, the plots and the tricks, yes, I did come up with those my, myself. Uh, then various people helped me out with, with bits and pieces when I was working on it. Um, Luis de Matos was enormously helpful. He very kindly invited me to go over to his wonderful studio yeah, in Portugal. It's an amazing place. Well, it is. And, you know, it's, uh, it's used for various purposes, but sometimes it's, it's not in use and there's a performing space there. And sure. people come over and, and use it to rehearse. Oh, and how wonderful. He was amazing. So he gave me a lot of help with it. And he helped me sort of mix music and give me some tips on, well, more than tips, you know, some really useful advice on, on handling the microphone and right. how to give sound cues and, you know, all, all sorts of things like that. That you wouldn't have had to deal with doing close-up or doing your normal card stuff is just things that wouldn't have crossed your mind, I imagine. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, things like um, the microphone. Uh, I, I wanted to have a microphone. Uh, I mean, I speak during the act, so the, the effects themselves are performed silently to music, but I do talk in between the effects, which I think gives it, you know, it's sort of, again, that sort of part, part of my personality, and I kind of like the idea of it almost being like a a singer performing a set, you know, sure. you'll kind of do your bit and then talk in between them. So that was the sort of the, the idea that I had in mind. And I, so I liked the idea of having an old-fashioned microphone, something you might have seen in the 1930s nightclub. Um, so I had this microphone, and it was really surprising. I sort of, I, I well, surprising, I, I didn't really know what to do with it, and I was quite sort of frightened to touch it. Right. <laughs> it was yeah, sort of, yeah. I sort of thought, well, it's on stage and it's just there, and I was sort of moving around it awkwardly. And he said to me, you know, well, why, why don't you move it? You know, move it when you need it and then move it off to one side. And I sort of thought, oh, does, doesn't that look a bit weird or a bit messy or as though I haven't sort of planned it out? And he made a really important, really useful point. He said, not at all. He said, it makes you look in command of the stage. Yeah. He said, if I come into your house, I would never move a light from one position to another so that I could see something more clearly in your house. That would be an extraordinary thing to do. But if you're reading a book and there's not enough light, then of course you're going to go and move a light and put it there and move it over there because it's your space. Mm. So actually, moving the props like that, it isn't a weird thing to do at all. It shows that you're comfortable and you're at home and people are coming into your home and watching you perform, right. which I thought was a really nice way of looking yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, smart. And the other thing, the other tip that he gave me that was amazing um, is he said, moving the microphone, that's your sound cue. You know, you've then got a guy in the sound desk who doesn't have to be following a script, doesn't yeah. have to speak the same language. You just tell him, it's not when I finish talking, when I move the microphone to the sound, to the side, and you can see that from anywhere in the auditorium, you push the next track button, and, you, and, and that's it. And it does make things extremely simple. So, you know, those kind of things never cross my mind doing card tricks. How lucky to have friends like this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then back in... Back in London, uh, James Friedman spent some time with me. Rich McDougall spent some time with me um, going through things. And, you know, so uh, as you say, I've been very lucky to have good friends who were able to, to help. No, I think that's an important thing that people sometimes miss when working on an act is getting that outside pair of eyes. And obviously you're well connected and have fortunate eyes to look at them. But even anybody listening to this that doesn't know Friedman and whoever else and Lewis Matos, it's like get a friend, get, you know, get somebody to, to just to look at it. Yeah, it's a very solitary um, pursuit most of the time, ma magic. And it's one of the things that a lot of people who do magic like about it, I think. You know, I quite like being able to go and shut myself in a room and work on something. Sure. 
Um, but you know, it's it's very unusual for any kind of performance to to be completely isolated. You know, you, it's completely normal. When I when I did my um, one man show a few years ago, um, you know, having a director on board was was absolutely essential. And speaking to any kind of producers who were going to put the show on, you know, the first thing they want to know is um, you know who the director yeah, is yeah. and and who else is involved, the idea that you'd be able to go to someone and say, well, no one, it's, it's just me, mm-hmm. that just doesn't really exist, yeah. I think, any, in anything other than, than magic. And I think it's very uh, important and useful to, to have input from from others. It doesn't necessarily mean you, you listen Absolutely. to everything that everyone says. Um, you need to find people whose advice and opinions you uh, trust and have faith in. Uh, but yes, that having that input, I think, is crucial. So, stage work aside, you're best known for your card magic, and your act consists mainly of original material. How and when did you start developing your own stuff? Well, it was sort of that process from school onwards. So, you know, that as I say, I started at this little prestige society at sort of 13 or 14, and then by the time I was... 15, 16, starting to learn more and go along to magic clubs. But um, even at that stage, I was sort of fiddling around doing my own bits of material. And the creative side of it was always quite important. Um, Again, I suppose being at school, you know, I was doing art and photography and other creative things as well as academic studies. And the creative side of things has always been important to me. I've always enjoyed that. Uh, So to be honest, just learning other people's materials. I mean, I, I learned slights and things from expert card technique, but even in the beginning, I was sort of putting together my own routines. A lot of them, of course, were either hopeless or, you know, reinventing things other people had come up with just sure. already. But the idea of kind of coming up with your own material, it was always a very important part of it for me and part of the satisfaction of doing magic. Um, and, you know, I don't want it to sound arrogant. I'm not, I'm not sort of saying it's because I don't think other people's material is good. Far from it. It's just part of the fun of it. And, you know, because with the exception of a couple of years when I did do it full time, uh, magic has not been my main or principal source of income. So, you know, it, it doesn't really I don't have that commercial imperative. I can kind of do what I want to. And so there's no point in doing it if it's not fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, a lot of the fun is in creating Yeah, things. you're not having to go out so doing Ring Flight Revolution and Omnideck 17 times a week. So Yeah, I mean, and, and when I was doing it commercially, even then I was trying to do some of my own material. Not all of it is, is particularly suited for, for going around tables. Uh, but, you know, some of it I, I certainly was doing um, some of my own material. Um, and for me, it, it is, you know, there's a problem-solving element to it. So for the, the tournament restored card, the Reformation thing, um, that, that was seeing the David Copperfield um, Tornus under trick with the tournament restored baseball mm. card on TV and thinking, wow, that's a great plot. And although I didn't know how it was done, and I still don't know any details about how it was done, I, I'm fairly sure it's not something that could be done regularly, commercially, mm-hmm. or, you know, in a live setting. Um, and I thought, well, you know, it'd be great to find a way of doing that. And it was really an exercise, almost like a puzzle to try and figure out a way of doing it rather than thinking, oh, this is a trick that I'm necessarily I'm going to use. Um, and then after I did figure out a way, uh, it then became something that became part of my, my performing repertoire. So it's not always a question of starting out what would be a great trick or a commercial trick. And uh, it, sometimes it is just abstractly thinking, well, that would be quite an interesting thing to try and think a, about. A problem, a puzzle to solve. Yeah, exactly. How important was the Reformation in your career, do you think? Uh, well, 
I've been incredibly lucky, considering, as I say, I'm I'm an amateur. Uh, I I get the opportunity to perform at conventions and shows around the world, and I get offers to do TV, which at the moment I'm I'm not really uh, looking to do that sort of thing. But you know, there are lots of opportunities that have been presented to me, and I feel incredibly fortunate for that. Um, particularly, as I say, because I'm not I'm not actively trying no, to sure, cultivate sure, that. I'm sure. not going out looking no, for it. No, I didn't it. mean with your legal career, but like the Reformation was something that did seemed to springboard you into the magical world. Exactly. So from that perspective, it was something that was enormously important because it was something that seemed to create interest. As I say, I didn't particularly expect it to or, or intend it to, but it was something that I suppose was a bit different. And it was convenient because it was a trick that I could do at conventions. Mm. So, you know, when I was traveling around just as a kid visiting places, uh, it was a good thing to do in a bar uh, at the at the hotel bar um, at a convention. And someone would say, oh, that's cool. Come and show it to so and so. And it was as a result of that, I actually I ended up meeting a lot of my my heroes uh, in magic who were incredibly kind to me. And I traveled around the U.S. when I was 19 or 20. And as a result of having met magicians like David Williamson um, at, at conventions in the UK beforehand, um, you know, it was a way in and it was a way of showing them something and hopefully them thinking, oh, he's not a complete yeah, yeah, bozo. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I, uh, they said, oh, well, if you're in the US, look me up. And, and I did. And he then put me in touch with other people. And I got to know Mike Caveney that way, who, you know, these people who subsequently have become friends and who've been very helpful and kind to me in my career. Um, and I suppose it was off the back of that. Also, I met Gary Ouellette, uh, who saw the trick and thought it would work for World's Greatest Magic, right. uh, which, again, I mean, I had no real concept of what that was when I was over here in, in the UK. Just I was in the middle of university studies. But I think at the time it was quite a big magic show in the US. Um, you know, there, there wasn't the Netflix and all of that content at mm. the time. And so new magic shows were, were more unusual. And so I think people saw it on that. And so I think it's a long answer to your question. It, it has been extremely important. Um, the the one-man show expert at the card table, how did that come about and what did you learn on the journey? Well, it came about, again, almost by accident. Uh, so my friend Paul Wilson, R. Paul Wilson, uh, who was, uh, I think he was living in Edinburgh, certainly in Scotland at the time, and this is more than 20 years ago, he used to do a regular show every year, or a show at the Magic at the um, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm-hmm. and uh, he found he couldn't do one one year uh, because of other work commitments, and so he asked me if I'd like to step in, and it turned out he'd already the programs had already been printed, so it already <sighs> had the name of the show, and he had decided uh. to show the expert at the card table. Um, I don't think he had any particular intention of tying it into the book. It was. You know, just the name, a, a suitable name for a show about card effects. Sure. Uh, but it was sort of, it was already set. So I had to do a show of that name. And at around about the same time, I'd actually, I'd read a review in Genie magazine of the book, The Man Who Was Erdnays, which was all about this theory that Erdnays may have been Milton Andrews. Mm. So I started sort of reading a bit more into that. Uh, well, at the time, at the first time I did the show, I, I really, I knew very little more than that being a possibility so uh, the, when i did the show at the edinburgh festival i basically just did my own card routines my repertoire 
Um, but I sort of interspersed it with bits about, um, oh, there's this really interesting book and no one quite knows who wrote it, but one theory okay. is that the guy was a murderer and this, that, and the other. And I found that people were actually just as interested, if not more interested, in the story than they were about my magic, which probably tells you something about my magic. But uh, anyway, uh, it was sort of seemed it was at least equally important. So I thought, well, maybe I should try and actually put together a proper show and have some kind of proper dramatic structure or narrative to it. And since then, I've tried so many different versions, and I hope it's improved and changed over the years. So then about 10 years ago, a friend of mine who's a producer, uh, we sort of discussed doing it. He said, well, let's do it at the Edinburgh Festival again, but this time let's do it sort of properly in a, in a bigger venue and let's actually have it marketed and have it have a proper director. He knew Neil Patrick Harris and was doing a play with him and Neil was interested in magic. And so we spoke. We actually, we were all playing poker together at the time. And uh, so playing poker with Doogie Howser, how cool. They're very cool, yeah. Um, it's <laughs> funny, a lot, of, uh, a lot of people say, well, why do people want to play poker with magicians and the answer is actually well there are, there are quite a few of us who are magicians who play in the group together so we sort of all keep each other keep on an it, eye yeah, yeah exactly yeah um so he uh so i met uh, neil through that and so he became involved which was amazing Absolutely. Uh, and so we did the show in uh in edinburgh since then i've done it a few times since and um every time i do it i sort of think about it and think how it could be improved I mentioned I've been working on a completely different show with a friend, um, and that was really the, the script on that show was really crucial. It was um, because there were two people involved, and it was a much much more detailed narrative. Uh, so we actually worked with a writer on that, um, and although we ended up not using that script, the whole process of really going over the script over and over again made me see a lot of the shortcomings in the script for my own one man show. So I've mm. really been working hard on that and going back over it. So I've now got a sort of a new hopefully a much improved version that uh, I'm doing this year. Is there a particular plot um, that's grabbed your interest recently? Uh, yes, two, actually. Um, what, one that I'm fairly far advanced with coming up with what I think my solution is going to be is Wildcard. Ah. Uh, I've always sort of liked the idea of Wildcard because a lot of magic happens in it, but I've sure. never seen a presentation that I find logical or satisfactory. And I find the whole idea of getting out eight cards that are all the same and then changing them to eight different cards that are all the same weird. So mm. I've been trying to find a good way of um, of doing that. And I, I've got a method that I'm sort of reasonably happy with that I'm starting to try out. So that's one thing. Um, well, that's probably that's my main answer. The other thing I was going to say is from a um, the stage act perspective, kind of an obvious trick that I think would be, be something I'd like to put into my stage act at some point, possibly, um, is linking rings. Because, again, that oh. fits with the idea of being a sort of a classic trick. Absolutely. But, you know, just, just saying it out loud, I can hear myself and other magicians sort of sighing and thinking, oh, linking rings. Because it, it sort of is so overdone and there are so... Uh, there are so sort of few different uh, different ways of doing it. There, there are I can think of a few amazing versions of it that are out there. But I, as I've said before, I, I'm not really interested in just doing somebody else's version, and I have no right. idea of, of how I would come how up to make with a it way. Yours. Exactly. Yeah. So in principle, I like the idea of doing it, but I would want to do something that really is quite different from. Yeah, because quite versions. often with your with your card magic, you'll take a, a classic plot and twist it into a Hollingworthy sort of way, but. What, okay, a couple of 
special gimmicky things aside, it's it's a ring with a hole in it. So what, yeah, what can exactly what what would Hollingworth do? Well, That's yeah. interesting though. So I, I don't know. Magicians I'm... do magicians do have a guilt have a thing about the linking rings that it's it's overdone. And I could see if you were working for magicians, but with lay with lay audiences, I still think a lot of people haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Um, so it's something that I say just sort of fits with the aesthetic of the show, and I think it could could work. But at the moment, I haven't figured out any way that I would actually do it. So hey, no, may, maybe I will, maybe I won't. So if people want to, um, uh, you see, just because of your accent, I don't imagine you're hugely prolific on social media. But is there anywhere people can keep up with what your antics are, should they wish to? Well, I, uh, as you say, I'm I'm really <laughs> rather hopeless with social media. I do have a Facebook page and a Twitter account, uh, and I am useless at looking at or updating either of them. <laughs> I got a bit turned off Twitter. It just seems everything now is about Brexit and Trump, and I just sort of mm. think, are you actually allowed to put anything on Twitter that isn't about one of those two topics? So I'm not, um, sure. I'm not sure you are, but if you are, maybe I'll, I'll start start doing that. Maybe you uh, could and, start a revolution. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, maybe we need one of those. Um, and, yeah, a website. and a website. I do have a website, have. yes, Um Yes, I do. That, that will have details of, of sort of public are. shows that I'm doing. There are ways and means. Perfect. Guy, thank you so much <laughs> for taking the time this afternoon Thanks to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Pleasure.